Next, this month's special series focus on disaster medicine and preparedness. Unforeseen disasters carry unique challenges and learning opportunities. This month, we present conversations that scrutinize our plans and protocols and ask, how prepared are we? How will we react? You're a medical-slash-pediatric resident when the storm of the century hits. You're trapped for six days with no power, no water, and no food. How do you survive, and what can we learn in case it happens to us? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Kristen Dascombe from the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Utah. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. You are a very special guest. (laughs) That's very kind. You were in Katrina. Yes. Let's start by telling us where you were, what hospital, what position you were at in the time, what were you doing there? I was a fourth-year internal medicine pediatrics resident. I was also doing my chief residency year that year. I was in University Hospital, which is the sister hospital to Charity Hospital in New Orleans. At that night, or that week, I guess I should say, I was on call for pediatrics, and that included the floor, the NICU, the pediatric ICU, and the nursery. Where's the hospital located in New Orleans? It's in downtown New Orleans, and there's a large cluster of hospitals, including University Hospital, Charity Hospital, the VA, and Tulane Hospital, all within about a five-block radius. Okay, so let's go back to that time. The storm is coming. People knew it was coming, and you knew it was coming about how long before? A week before you were warned? Well, hurricanes are easily predicted, and yet they're very unpredictable. And so about a week before, it's still difficult to tell when it's going to come. About two to three days beforehand, we will call what we call a code gray, which assigns those who are on call in the next two or three days to stay in the hospital uh, and take call every other night during the storm and stay there during the whole period of being in-house. Once that's done, the relief crew comes in and they would then take over where you left off. Okay. So meanwhile, about two or three days before, we kind of got the idea that this was the big one coming. Absolutely. So did you ever just want to bolt and run? Did anybody say, I got to get out of here? What am I doing here? We had all lived through hurricanes before and we knew we were going to be in a large hospital. So I didn't know of anyone who wanted to bolt. But at the same time, I wanted my family to bolt, and I didn't want to have to worry about them. And there's certainly the worry with all of our family members being very blasé New Orleanians who had been through so many before and who didn't want to leave. That was more my concern, and I think many of our residents and other staff members had that concern. But we were very comfortable staying in the hospital and knew what we had to do. Did your family leave? At 6.30 in the morning on the day of my call, they decided they wanted to leave. So it was very relaxing for me heading into call, but there were several families that didn't, even amongst our unit. So it was very hard. So let's talk about the hurricane, the storm itself. What was it like? That was pretty bad, actually. We had letters stating the name of the hospital on the roof, and as the storm came in and grew stronger and the eye approached, the wind was strong enough that it blew the letters off the roof of the hospital and blew them into the side of the hospital. Not only did that make a lot of noise, uh, it opened up windows on the floors above us and actually almost cracked our windows on more than one occasion. So that led to a lot of changes. First, from the eighth floor, when the windows were all broken in, uh, the water came down from the eighth floor into our sixth floor ICU. So that led to the first problem, having to move several patients out of the way of uh, a flood inside the hospital. The second issue was the wind coming in from these windows wouldn't protect any of our floor patients. It would put them in harm's way, and so we had to move all patients away from windows. So that, again, was uh, more moving of patients and more problems. Where did you move them? Into the halls? Into the hallways. 
we had all of our floor patients sitting in the hallways uh, with their one parent that they were allowed to have with them. Our one ICU, our one very critical ICU patient, was removed across the room closer to the nurse's station. Did that involve moving all the equipment? Absolutely. The patient had a central line in and was intubated and was on two IV pressers. And actually, the central line was moved during the transfer of the patient across the room. We ended up having to consult surgery in the middle of the night with no power to replace the central line. Adult surgeons don't like to do that in the middle of the night in bad conditions. So it was a pretty risky procedure, but the patient really needed it. When you were moving all these patients, did you have power at that point? We still had power while we were moving them, but only a few hours after that. And then almost, you know, just a few hours later, the power went out. Okay, so now the power goes out. What do you do besides go, oh, damn? (laughs) (laughs) You had backup generators, but they didn't work either, right? The backup generators for our ICU worked. So our ICU patient and our NICU patients had generators, and there were one or two lights in our nursery. But we did not have power for anything else, including, obviously, air conditioning, but power for any other facilities within the hospital. So we knew we weren't going to get laboratory values quickly. We knew we didn't have phone lines. We didn't have computer services. We weren't certain if our pagers were working. So I guess, oh dear, was our biggest thought. But you have to recognize that you have to be a little more aggressive in finding out you know, what nurse or what patient needs you, as well as figuring out unique ways of trying to find out information on your patients as time goes on. Were all your patients on one floor, or were they separated on different floors? All the pediatric patients were mostly on the sixth floor. The NICU was on the third floor, as well as the nursery. And so we did have to, when we made rounds on the uh, lower patients, we had to go downstairs, and that posed a problem because the stairwells weren't lit. Whether it was daytime or nighttime, they were in the center of the hospital. And so it could be very difficult having to carry around a flashlight. And with all of the security concerns going on during the hurricane, it was actually a little intimidating walking up and down the hallways without having another person with you. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Kristen Dascombe, who lived through Hurricane Katrina. All right, so back to the story. So now the power's out, except for the ICU. Did you worry that the generator might not run in that kind of storm, or it might get blown apart itself? Oh, certainly. And it was very intermittent most of the time. There were moments where we'd suddenly hear no noise whatsoever, realize that the generator had gone out. We'd start bagging our patient And we'd take turns for an hour or so, and then the generator would come back on. We'd take a deep breath. And then by day four or five, we realized it was failing slowly over time. And at one point, one of the nurses asked me, well, we have enough power that I can run one pump. That means you can either have your IV cardiovascular pressors or you can have your IV fluids. Which would you like? And that was one of the strangest decisions I've ever had to make, but we decided that... Well, that's easy. Aren't you used to dealing with HMOs? You can have one thing or the other. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But we chose to continue the IV fluids, thinking that in the heat and the difficulties, if the baby survived off of IV pressors, he would certainly need his fluids. So... You're off of everything for like six days, really, except some emergency power. And that includes water as well. Right, and water and no bathrooms and no showers. Well, we could theoretically grab water from outside that was surrounding us, pour it into the back of the tank of the toilet, and then flush the toilet manually. We did that every so often only because the smell in general was so wretched that it was overwhelming. That was one therapy that we used to try to maintain some quality of life. But in essence, we were instructed as part of the infection control measures 
to use any toiletries in a biohazard bag, tie it up, and throw it out the window into the water outside. Okay. Oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> Did the hospital have a disaster plan that you were schooled in before this? We all knew that there was a code gray policy. Precisely what it was, other than how it impacted our call, we weren't certain. About the third day, we were instructed as sort of the leaders, and that included my attending, who I was with. I joined the meeting. The attending for the medicine, uh, internal medicine department, and some of the other departments all met uh, one night and discussed what they understood from the emergency management commissions that they had been on the phone with, and they apparently had a satellite phone in communication with a central organization. The information that we understood was, A, there wasn't really a plan for them to get us out so that we should make ourselves comfortable and try to make sure that we were getting on as best we could, that B, we had a certain number of days of water, that we had been informed that we should bring our own water and that they hoped we did because otherwise it might not last. And they had scheduled out some rations for food. Perhaps this wasn't the best choice that they made. The ones that I remember very vividly were tuna salad made with the kitchen worker's hands, which I thought was a dreadful idea uh, when you can't wash your hands with water, and sort of like a red beans and rice kind of a dish, which, again, when you don't want to use the facilities, it's not the best idea either. Well, did you have gel sand or anything around that you're asking them to use? We did have gel sand. Again, when you have limited water and you don't trust gel sand in terms of other, sometimes with Clostridium difficile, you don't trust it. And sometimes when you know that your friend hasn't washed their hands in eight days, sometimes you tend to mistrust it. But it still makes you apprehensive in terms of possibly passing diarrhea around the hospital. And we had patients admitted for diarrhea in the hospital. It was the end of summer. Um, and that's not an uncommon diagnosis in pediatric or adult patients at that time of the year. Did anybody get sick that you know from the not washing of hands, any of your staff? I know of two persons who were saying in the last two days that they were developing diarrhea. And certainly you've heard of the stories in the refugee camps of diarrhea being passed around. So I would imagine there were probably more uh, on the medicine floors. We did our best to minimize this. We knew we had at least three patients on the medicine services that had diarrhea. And if, when we had to round on those, we would save those for the last so that we didn't pass it on to any of the other patients on the service. All right. Well, let's take a step back. When this first happened, anybody there take control in the moment? Each unit had its attending, which I felt did a very nice job. Dr. Lowe, who is my attending for both the ICU and the floor, was an obvious leader, um, as was our NICU attending, uh, Dr. Barkmeyer. Both were centers for us to reflect and get information from. So we felt fairly confident in both of them. There was also the attending for the internal medicine service, Vince Cataldo, who, although he was only a new chief resident who had taken on this service as a favor to another attending who wanted to evacuate, took it on himself as a true leader, both in the MICU and on the floor. So we felt fairly confident with those persons. Further, we had the pediatric chief resident and myself who did what we could to sort of be uh, in any unit that needed help, uh, I ended up having to not only do ICU floor work and nursery work, but because there were so few medicine residents available, I ended up having to do some of the internal medicine as well. How many house staff were on call that night with you? In pediatrics, I had two interns and myself. The second day, we shared call with Tulane University, who had an upper level and an intern. 
On the medicine side, we had one upper level with two interns, and over time, we triage lost our upper levels on medicine, which is why I had to help out, because one of them had family issues. Their family members were still in the storm and couldn't get out, and she had issues dealing with that, which are totally understandable. Uh, the other one left with a patient. We don't know when she left, but she did. And then finally, the attending had to leave because he had to go with an MICU patient that needed acute care, which left two interns to take care of the entire three floors of medicine patients without guidance. So I was asked to go and work with them along with Dr. Lowe, who is the attending for the pediatrics floor, who happens to also be the internal medicine pediatrics uh, head of the department. Wow, pretty scary. Kristen, thanks for being our guest today, and I hope we never have to talk to you on a similar subject. Me too. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMDXM is here for you, the health professionals who care for your patients. Tell us what you want and need. Send us your emails at xm at reachmd.com. We value your questions, and we thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.